The month is now a week old, and the year is almost complete. Until then, it's Tuesday, December 8th, 2020, and this is the Charlottesville Community Engagement Newscast and Newsletter. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, for another look at what's happened and what's happening in the area. In today's newsletter, the Area Health Director briefs Council on COVID and vaccine preparation. The Downtown Business Group wants you to buy gift cards, City Council is briefed on an end-of-year budget surplus, and relatives of Breonna Taylor attend a signing ceremony preventing the use of no-knock warrants in Virginia. Today's patreon field shout-out is for the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign, an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the Northern Piedmont. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them Lonnie Murray sent you. The recent increase in daily cases appears to be a trend with the Virginia Department of Health. They report another 3,860 new cases today. That brings the seven-day average for new cases to 3,238. The seven-day average for positive PCR tests has increased to 10.9. There is a new reported case of multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, the 12th such diagnosis since the pandemic began. There have been no related deaths. The VDH reports another 52 COVID deaths, bringing the statewide death toll to 4,260. Nationwide, there have been over 281,000 deaths, according to the Centers for Disease Control. The head of the Blue Ridge Health District told City Council last night that she is concerned about a dramatic increase in local cases. We are certainly seeing more positive cases, and we've had over 100 positive cases or close to 100 for the past uh, three or four days. Uh, And when we do our community testing, um, we are seeing increase in the percentage of those individuals who come to the community test that test positive. However, Dr. Bonds said the number of tests has decreased since dormitories at the University of Virginia have closed for the semester. Today, there were 52 new cases reported in the Blue Ridge Health District, and the seven-day average remains at 67. Yesterday, the Virginia Department of Health announced it was altering its rules on quarantine to match new federal guidance from the Centers for Disease Control. Now people who have been exposed can leave quarantine after 10 days without a test if they don't have symptoms, or if they get a negative test after seven days. Uh, Previously, up until the change last week, uh, we were recommending a 14-day quarantine period, and I want to emphasize that staying home, uh, if you have been in contact with someone who is positive for that full 14 days is still best, Um, and it is what we will continue to recommend for healthcare workers. Dr. Bonds said this still comes with a risk because there is still a 1% chance an asymptomatic person can still pass on infections after 10 days. As for vaccines, Dr. Bonds said the Food and Drug Administration will hold a hearing on Thursday for Pfizer's application for emergency authorization. Moderna will get its turn on December 17th. Healthcare workers will be the top priority, followed by long-term care facilities. By the end of December, we should be well underway with this first priority group in vaccinating. Uh, After that, we will um, hopefully continue to receive weekly shipments of vaccine, which will allow us to work down the other priority groups. Um, Essential workers, 
uh, is right now the tentative next group. Dr. Bonds said it is crucial that people continue to follow all of the protocols that have been recommended because it will take months for the vaccine to work. There are not enough resources to do a full level of contact tracing when there are over 100 cases a day. We are having to triage cases that we investigate. We just do not have the staff to really do a full investigation into every single case. So we're working on those that are really the highest risk exposures. Later in the meeting, City Councilor Lloyd Snook suggested repealing the city's local ordinance because he said it was no longer necessary. He said that Governor Northam's recent Executive Order 67 is more restrictive than the ordinance adopted by Charlottesville in late July, and he wants the city's rules to be harmonized with the state's rules. We know the governor's order is likely to change repeatedly in the next few months as the governor is likely to try to do a number of other things to get the situation under better control. Snook said a mismatch in definitions between localities and states could lead to vulnerabilities in future legal challenges. However, interim city manager John Blair, who was city attorney when the city enacted tougher restrictions than the governor back in July, recommended keeping a city-specific ordinance given the city's inability to control a sudden influx of people coming back to Charlottesville in mid-January when the University of Virginia students return. We could very well find ourselves exactly where we were back in July, depending on the rapidity of vaccine distribution. Council backed Blair's position, and the city's ordinance was updated rather than appealed. Governor Ralph Northam signed legislation yesterday that bans police from using what are known as no-knock warrants. The legislation was prompted by an incident in Louisville, Kentucky, where a 26-year-old black woman was killed earlier this year by plainclothes police officers who forced entry into the wrong apartment unit. Dr. Janice Underwood is Virginia's chief officer of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We stand here today somewhat reassured and in solidarity with Breonna Taylor, who is undoubtedly with us in spirit, that going forward, the Commonwealth of Virginia, only the third state in the nation, has taken a bold stand against no-knock warrants, an institutional mechanism that disproportionately terrorizes people of color. Members of Breonna Taylor's family were in attendance for the signing ceremony. Soon after, the president of the Virginia Association of Chiefs of Police issued a statement of opposition to HB 5099 becoming law. Here are some comments from Maggie DeBoard, chief of police from the town of Herndon. While we continue to disagree with the elimination of this tactic in all circumstances, we remain critically concerned regarding additional changes made in this bill, which will place our law enforcement officers and our community in significantly greater danger. State Senator Mamie Locke said that when the bill was introduced, she and others were critiqued for addressing something that happened in another state. Virginia is not immune to injustice. And when injustice happened in Louisville, Kentucky, on a no-knock warrant, that did not mean that Virginia was immune to the same injustice, to the same inequality. It could also happen here in Virginia. And we do not want what happened to Brianna to also happen here in Virginia, because Brianna is me. You can watch the whole ceremony on the governor's Facebook page. 
With uncertainty about the near-term future, the Downtown Business Association of Charlottesville has launched a gift card program to encourage people to support businesses. Roy Van Dorn is on the DBAC's board of directors. There are a few ways in our community that can effectively support an entire region and downtown business in particular. This is one that is substantial, impactful, and consequential today, next month, and next year. The gift card program has been in the works for two years. Van Dorn said the pandemic has done much damage to business downtown, and purchasing the cards will show financial support. He also asked council for funding to help support the program through marketing efforts, a request that was not addressed during the meeting. Council was also briefed on the closeout of fiscal year 2020, which ended on June 30th. Finance Director Christopher Cullinan said the city did not meet its revenue targets for the year. The city, on an operating basis, the general fund did report uh, a decline, a loss of $1.8 million, or about 1% of the adopted budget. Um, And this was the result primarily due to COVID. Uh, COVID had a tremendous impact on the city's revenues, especially our most economically sensitive ones, such as sales, uh, meals, lodging, utilities. The fact that the pandemic hit during the final quarter of the year did not help, and Cullinan said the city did not have time to make enough adjustments to the adopted budget. However, as the budget was closed out for the year, staff followed city financial policy that requires a reserve fund balance of a certain percentage of the general fund budget. This policy provides the city with sufficient working capital and a margin of financial safety to address unforeseen one-time expenditure emergencies or significant unforeseen declines in revenues in a specific in a specific fiscal year. Cullinan said staff's recommendation is to devote the surplus to the city's capital improvement program contingency fund per the financial policy. That gives the city additional cash to pay for capital projects, slightly reducing the need to borrow money for programs for the capital improvement program. Council held a work session about the CIP for next year's budget on November 20th. Council will have a public hearing on the surplus at the next meeting. Here's City Councilor Heather Hill. No final allocations are going to be made at this time, but this is essentially a placeholder. It allows us to have some more time to kind of see how some other things are going to play out before we actually determine where this funding may go and if it's just going to continue to ride in the you know, reside in the, in the CIP. The City Planning Commission meets tonight. One thing that has been postponed is a consideration of the CIP until a meeting early next year. Today, in other meetings, the Albemarle Board of Supervisors and the Albemarle Planning Commission meet in a joint work session on housing policy beginning at 6 p.m. The Greene County Board of Supervisors meets at 7.30 p.m. The Albemarle Department of Social Services Advisory Board meets at 3.30 p.m. The Charlottesville Economic Development Authority meets at 4 p.m. All of the links to those meetings can be found in the newsletter. And that's it for another edition of the Charlottesville Community Engagement Newscast and Newsletter for December 8th, 2020. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? If you have enjoyed this program, please send it on to somebody that you think would benefit from it. Uh, The whole idea here is to educate people on what's happening in local government and the region and sometimes the state. 
These are all things that I feel that uh, more people need to know about. I'm Sean Tubbs, your host, and I'll be back tomorrow with another installment. In the meantime, do pay attention to the various things that are pitched at the beginning of the show. That's one small way that I'm able to continue to do this as a financial endeavor. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. 